Father, we're so amazed at what you can do. Lord, you are able. You are able to do the impossible. You are able to do the unexpected. And so, God, as we sing your praises, we want to acknowledge who you are, that you are God above all other gods. You are God above all other circumstances, all problems, all issues. You are able. You are able. And so because you're able, you're so worthy. So worthy of our prayers, our praises, so worthy of our hearts, our minds. You're worthy of it all. And we're grateful. So grateful. Amen. 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 Put your hands together for our able God. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, everybody. We're glad you could be with us if you're just joining with us. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. If you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Deuteronomy. Somebody say Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you're new to the Bible, it's toward the left side, toward the beginning. Start at the beginning and just keep going right. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the fifth book in the Bible. And we're in uh, towards the end of a series on the Sabbath. And uh, if you're, again, new to the Bible, new to church, uh, we're glad you could be with us today. Uh, the, the topic of Sabbath might be a new topic for you. If you want to go back and listen to some of the previous sermons, this is the fourth sermon in the series. We're, we're talking about what it is and how to practice the Sabbath in our life as we walk through this series. And so we're, we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 5 this morning verses 12 through 15. And this is found in the Ten Commandments. It's the second telling of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. Hear the reading of God's Word. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to tag our text today, Sabbath as resistance. Sabbath as resistance. Let's pray again before we jump into the word. Father, uh, thank you for your word that you speak to us in your scriptures. That by your word, your spirit transforms hearts and minds and does what none of us can do. And so we ask that your spirit would show up today as we look at your word to uh, gather what you would say for us. God, may you change us into the image of Christ that we may be more and more like you in our work and in our rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was 1974, and they were about halfway through an 84-day mission on the Skylab space station, when uh, their leader, Colonel William Pogue, he decided that he uh, was looking out at the crew in the space station, 
and everyone was exhausted and worn out and tired by the mission, and he decided he was going to call down to mission control and ask for a day of rest. He was reflecting on it, and this is what he says. He says, we have been over schedule. We've been hustling the entire day. The work can be tiresome and tedious, though the view is spectacular. You think about that, like they're, they're in space, they're looking at earth from space, seeing things they had never seen, their wildest dreams coming true that they would be in this space station for 84 days. And he says, despite all of that, despite the amazing experience that we're so grateful for, we're exhausted. We haven't had a day of rest. It's been over 40 days and we're working, we're working, we're working. And so he calls down asking for a day off. And he's told no. NASA calls back and says, it has not been approved. You must continue to work. And so what does the crew do? They go on strike. They go on strike in space. They have a space Sabbath and decide you can't force us down on Earth to to keep working up in the space station. And so they decide they're not going to work against their orders. And of course, NASA has no real control over that. They can't do much about it. They had an upper hand. And and even in this experience, as time goes on, they eventually, NASA decides they're going to change their policy on rest from that point forward. And every mission since then in 1974, they've scheduled days of rest for the astronauts because they realized this is necessary. But it took some pushing. It took some resistance because rest is not always warmly welcomed, right? You think about it, that's kind of a strange idea that that Sabbath has always been subversive. And it seems strange on the surface because you think about just, just for a moment, think about this. God has demanded. He has commanded. He has told you. He's, He's made a demand that you rest. That's like, I'm demanding you eat ice cream. Or I'm demanding that you go take a day away and go to the beach. I mean, who would be against that? Who would be against that kind of resistance or that kind of rest? Who would give resistance to that? Well, the reason is because the Sabbath is not practiced in a vacuum, right? Whenever you rest, it affects others. In other words, your individual rest has communal implications, When you decide to rest, it affects the people and the world around you. And sometimes people don't like that. Sometimes they do. But it has an effect. And especially in a world that devalues rest, you're going to see resistance. You're going to see a change that has to happen because rest is deeply relational. It's deeply relational. And so as we continue this series, I want to pick up this topic uh, as, we, as we look at this idea of Sabbath. We've been talking uh, last week about how Sabbath is about worship, right? And, and we talked last week about how Sabbath really reveals what matters most to us. So not just worship on Sunday mornings as a service, but worship as a life, right? And so when you rest, you, you are exposing to yourself and to the world around you what really matters to you. But this week kind of continuing that thought, I want to look at how Sabbath doesn't just change you, but it affects everyone around you. And and this comes from the idea, maybe you're familiar with the Ten Commandments being actually historically split into two tablets. 
So you have the Ten Commandments, and the first half, people say, uh, relates to loving God, right? And then the second half of the Ten Commandments relates to loving your neighbor. And so Jesus summarized the law that way, right? Jesus was asked, what, what's the greatest of the commandments? And he says, love God, love your neighbor. And historically, you see the Ten Commandments, the first four being about loving God, and then five through ten about loving your neighbor. But there's also a thread in history that splits it up slightly different, where you actually have the first three loving God, and then the fourth commandment is seen as a bridge. And people have asked the question, is the Sabbath about loving God or is it about loving your neighbor? And the answer is both. It's yes. And this is why they see the fourth commandment as a bridge between the two, that it's the commandment that is actually calling you to do both. That you would love God and worship Him, but you would also love your neighbor. And so I want to look today at how is the Sabbath not only good for us, but good for the people around us. And so if you're taking notes today, uh, we're, we're going to look first at resisting bondage. Resisting bondage. Look at verse 12 with me uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. There it is again. He commands you to keep this day holy. Now, like I said earlier, Deuteronomy is called the retelling of the law. And so in the first telling of the law, you have the story of the Exodus. So in Exodus, God's people were uh, in bondage for 400 years to Egypt, and they get delivered out by God's mighty hand, and, and God sends them into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. But as they enter into the wilderness, they come to Mount Sinai, they meet with God, and God gives them the Ten Commandments. Moses exposed, or, or, or preaches to them these Ten Commandments and you have the first telling of the law, and then a lot happens. We won't cover it all today, but 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years to get from Egypt to the promised land. And right before they come into the promised land, Moses decides this is an opportunity to give a little refresher course, if you will. We're going to go back over the law because most of the people who had come to this point weren't around when we had the first law. This is the next generation. This is 40 years later. And so he's retelling the law. And when he retells the law, did you catch the slight difference in the fourth command? The first word is observe. In Exodus, it was remember, but here it's observe. And actually, in Jewish tradition, when they celebrate the Sabbath, they have two candles that they light on the Sabbath night, one for remember and one for observe. And this is kind of a sidetrack, but, but this is interesting. It's the two words that kind of shape the whole week. And so the idea is that the first three days of the week, you're remembering the previous Sabbath. You're remembering all that God blessed you in and, and what that was like and, and the joy you had. And then the next three days leading up to the Sabbath, you're observing it. You're looking forward to it. You're, you're anticipating the coming Sabbath. And so the whole week is meant to be wrapped in this Sabbath experience that you would remember and observe. But then there's a greater change in verse 15. Look at what it says. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Don't miss this. In, in Exodus, the Sabbath reasoning was rooted in the creation story. Remember that? that? That he said, the reason we Sabbath is because God's Sabbath, that he worked six days and rested on the seventh day. But here, it's rooted in their redemption story. 
Here it's rooted not in, in what God had done in creation, but what He had done in Egypt. And so in Exodus, it was remember the Sabbath. Here in Deuteronomy, it's remember your slavery. Your slavery. Now, this might seem kind of odd because, again, this is the next generation. This is the first generation in over 400 years to not grow up in bondage. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their great-grandparents were slaves. All they knew was slavery in the previous generations, but this generation was free. And they were about to walk into the promised land. And Moses says, don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget where your people are from because your people came out of slavery. They came out of bondage to an empire that devoured their dignity one brick at a time. He's talking about Egypt. He's talking about Egypt, this empire of of, of this lust for more. Egypt was always about bigger and better and greater and, and more profit and more production. And they were this incredible, massive, powerful empire. And the only way you get that powerful and that prosperous is through cheap labor. And, the, and they enslaved the, the Israelites, right? They're, they're bringing them in just like every other empire to build up their wealth. And the thing is, slaves don't get a Sabbath. As John Mark Comer said, slaves are subhuman, just lines in a spreadsheet. He's saying that this this kind of slavery is bondage that is put on us by the people who are uh, over us. Their desire for more, their lust for more now brings us into bondage. And so Sabbath, Sabbath is resisting the bondage of more. It's resisting the bondage of more. John D. Rockefeller uh, was... He became the wealthiest man in the 20th century, wealthiest man in the whole world. And uh, he had all kinds of different philanthropy that he would do, and and he gave to many different projects. And you go back and you read his life, he was a strange character, but he got involved in all kinds of things, things like uh, education, and and he cared for uh, different groups, different civic groups, and different building projects, and and uh, he even gave to Spelman College, if you're familiar with Spelman College in Atlanta, the historic black women's college. He gave millions of dollars to that. And he, so he gives $500 million in his lifetime. That's just the money he gave away. And that's a, that's 100 years ago. That's a lot of money 100 years ago. They estimate that when he was alive at the peak of his wealth, he had 2% of the entire American economy. The entire nation. And so someone came to Rockefeller one day and they asked him, how much money is enough money? And he kind of smirked and he famously said, just a little more. Just a little more. The richest man in the world. Just a little more. See, listen to me. Pharaoh's empire is is alive and well today. That's what, that's what Moses was saying thousands of years ago, and it's still true today that there's this, this desire, this, this ravenous lust for more and more. And, and let me tell you, the Western world is the empire of more. That's our world. I mean, we, we are obsessed with more stuff. Listen to this. We, we have so much crap that, that we, we have to build bigger barns 
and we call them storage units. I mean, listen, just being honest, this is the stats that I looked up this week. Storage units are a $38 billion industry in the U.S. alone. And they make up 2.3 billion square feet. Billion with a B. That, that's enough square footage for every American to have seven square feet of their own. In other words, we could, we could house the entire nation in the storage units of this country. I mean, we're, we're obsessed with stuff. But not only are we obsessed with stuff, we're, we're obsessed with entertainment. We're, we're obsessed with, uh, you know, seeing things and, and experiencing things and watching things. And, and I was looking up this week some stats on that, and, and it, it said that 500 years, 500 years of video are uploaded to Facebook every day. Every day. A hundred a hundred hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute. It's no wonder that people, I mean, we, we check our phones every a few seconds, 150 times plus, sometimes more than that, every single day because we want more information, more entertainment, more stuff. That's, we're just craving this more and more and more. So I, I want to ask you, how, how in bondage are you to the empire of more? I mean, really, ask yourself, how is that working out in your life? That, that it, is, it is just craving inside of you that you've got to have more. And, and listen, I think probably most of us, it's, it's affecting us more than we think it is. Because it's just the air we breathe. It's the American way. And what, what the Bible is saying is Sabbath was given to us as a different way to say enough. Enough. Old Testament scholar Walter, Walter Brueggemann, he said this, he said, Sabbath is an act of resistance, rebelling against Pharaoh and his empire, right? By saying, I, I know that the world around me says I need to gain, I need to purchase, I need to do, I need to have all this stuff, and I'm going to resist by just saying I have enough. I have enough. Right? The lie of more is somewhere on the other side of that experience or that phone or that bag or those shoes is something I need. And it's a lie because you get it and you know what it's like. You get it and it doesn't fill it. And then you got to go find something else and you got to go find something else. See, the opposite of less is not more. It's, it's enough. It's being content. And the only way you cure the, the passion and the lust for more is through contentment. And Sabbath is this gift, this habit of saying on a weekly basis, I'm going to say I have enough. For 24 hours, I'm going to stop buying. For 24 hours, I'm going to stop consuming. For 24 hours, I'm going to stop living in bondage to stuff. I mean, let's get real practical here for a second. For centuries, right, people uh, throughout uh, the world, Christians throughout the world have tried to navigate hard questions with the Sabbath. Like, what, what do we do on the Sabbath? And what do we not do? And, and we talked last week about how you can turn that into legalism quickly. And so I want to be careful, but I also want to challenge you to think about this for your own heart and just ask some, some helpful questions, right? Because in, in our culture, 
uh, we've traded the Sabbath day for things like Prime Day, right? Or Black Friday. I mean, Prime Day was this last week. I know that, that that's what we're excited about. And, and we have a whole day to let loose. And what, what, if we just, what if we just traded it back? And once a week, we had a whole day where we didn't. Like, well, what if you had a whole day where you rested from the exhaustion of acquiring more stuff? What if we rested from the craving for more and enjoyed what we already have? What if we rested from the empire's game and took back our humanity, claiming that we are more than our stuff, we're more than our production, we're more than our consumption, we are human beings, not human doings. We can enjoy, we can delight, and we can rest. The Sabbath is inviting you to that, to say, a day of resisting that bondage. But when you resist that bondage for yourself, it doesn't just affect you, remember? It also has an effect on the world around you. And this brings us to our second point, resisting injustice. Resisting injustice. Look at verse 13. It goes on to say this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any other livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now, anytime you read the Bible, here's a little tip. Pay attention to repetition. Anytime you see repetition in the Bible, it's there for emphasis usually. Because in the original Hebrew, there was no exclamation mark. There was no punctuation. And so repetition was the way that you expressed uh, emphasis in the Hebrew language. And so here you have repetition in the command in just these few short verses. Did you catch it? It's the repetition of the servants. And Moses doesn't do this in the Exodus account. In Exodus, when he gives the fourth command, there's no repetition. But here there's repetition because he's continuing this emphasis on your neighbor. And what's the emphasis that he's trying to get across? The answer is in verse 14. It says at the end, it says that they may rest as well as you. Listen, the Sabbath is the great day of equity. It's the great day of equity. What he's saying is, he's saying that you look out at your whole life, all the relationships you have. He tries to give all the possible categories you could imagine. Your family, your work life, the, the, even the animals who live at your house. He, he even calls them to rest. He says all of the people in your life, all of the creatures in your life, he says they don't all have the same production, they don't all have the same skill, they don't all have you know, the same... Uh, performance even, but every single one of the people in your life are made in the image of God. Made in the image of God and have equal value and worth. And for a society tempted to treat people by their social position, Sabbath was a day that's designed for you to remember the value and worth of every person. Sabbath was a day, one in seven, where you can be reminded that all people deserve fair and just treatment, beginning with this dignity of rest, right? Because he's contrasting it with the society around you where the society says, you're subhuman, you're just a line on the spreadsheet, you're a person that helps me get production. No, the Sabbath is a day to remember 
your humanity and the humanity of every person made in the image of God. As one author said, Sabbath is scheduled social justice. It's scheduled social justice. In his book, uh, First Things First, Stephen Covey, who's a kind of a leadership author, he, uh, he wrote this famous story. I don't even know if it's true, but it's kind of became this folklore in leadership literature. And uh, he wrote this story that uh, basically there was a professor in a classroom and he's got his class there in the professor's classroom and he brings out on the table in front of him this big wide mouth jar. And next to the jar are these kind of fist-sized rocks, you know, decent-sized rocks. And he starts to put the rocks in the jar. And maybe you've heard this illustration before, but he puts the rocks in the jar and he asks the class, is the jar full? And everybody shouts out, yes, the, the jar is full. And, and then he pulls out from underneath the table this box of gravel. And he starts to pour the gravel into the jar. And then the gravel kind of fills into the gaps in the jar where the big rocks are not. And then he asks the class, is the jar full? And now they kind of catch on. Something's off on this illustration. So they say, uh, probably not. (laughs) And then he pulls out from under the table a box of sand. And then he puts the sand in the jar. And the sand kind of fills in the gaps of the gravel that, that are there. And then he asks the class, is the jar full? And, he's, and everybody says, this time, no, it's not full. They've learned their lesson. And then he pulls out from under the table a jar of water. And he pours in the bigger jar, this jar of water, and the water fills in all the gaps until it's full all the way to the brim. And he says to the class, the point of this lesson is that if you did it the opposite way, it wouldn't work. If you started with the water and you put the water in and then you put the sand in and then you put the gravel in and then you tried to put the rocks in, the rocks wouldn't fit. And so the only way you get all of these things into the jar is if you do it in the right priority. You have to do it in the right order. And so some things, if not prioritized, won't get in at all. They won't get in at all. And listen, Sabbath is about priorities. It's about priorities. It's prioritizing the people who are typically unprioritized. That's what God is saying in the Sabbath. He's saying, I want you to take a day to prioritize people who in your society would normally not be prioritized. I want you to put it into your weekly rhythm so that every seven days you are reminded of their humanity. I want you every, every seven days to put these big rocks in first of justice and mercy and realize and stop and notice the people that everyone else is neglecting. It's a habit of seeing, right? He's saying one in seven days, I want you to see them. If you don't see them the other days, at least this day so that you can create a habit that will eventually shape your other six days. A habit where you begin to see the people among you, the immigrants, the unborn, the incarcerated, the homeless, the racial minorities, the elderly, the single parents, the underemployed, the uneducated, the disabled, all the people that society says have less value. I want you to see them. And here's the thing. I want you to to make sure that they Sabbath. They Sabbath. See, Sabbath is is a day of seeing and it's a day of loving. And that's why Sabbath rest has to be for all. 
It can't be a day that, that is just for the wealthy or just for the privileged or just for the people who have lots of vacation or just for the people who have a, an office job. It has to be for all or it's not a Sabbath. I mean, this is, this is radical and it raises some very crucial questions, very complex questions. Things you might start asking like, well, what if you're in really terrible poverty and you have to work seven days a week just to pay your light bill and and put food on the table or what if you're a single mom and you got three jobs and you're working in the day and at night and on weekends and you don't have any time to have 24 hours or what if you're working at a job where your boss won't let you disconnect from the office for 24 hours he says you have to stay connected and so what do you do i mean it raises Very difficult questions, especially in a culture that devalues rest. There's innumerable complications. Some of the answers are not clear. Some of them are not easy. A.J. Swoboda, he writes about this, and he says, we should expect difficulties to arise for ourselves when we keep the Sabbath. But our Sabbath shouldn't create problems for others. You catch that? He's saying there's going to be difficulties as you try to build a rhythm of rest into your life, but those difficulties should be upon you. They shouldn't now be upon somebody else. In other words, what he's saying is a true inability to Sabbath by somebody might be an indicator that there's injustice present. That there's injustice present. Right? In other words, it might mean that some people are resting at the expense of other people's restlessness at the expense of someone else and so listen this is the hard truth of the sabbath that those with resources and influence often have to be the people who take the first steps who say you know as a leader or as a manager or as a business owner whatever influence i have whatever ability i have to affect someone's rest and sabbath I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure they can rest. Because there's no other way. There's no other way unless the people who have the influence say, I'm going to make a difference. That's what he's saying in the Sabbath. He's saying directly, the people that are under your care, you're responsible for that. You're responsible for that. And too often, even in the church, even in Christian institutions, we... We perpetuate a system that just breaks people. Maybe sometimes unknowingly, but we, we treat people as if they're subhuman, just people to produce for the institution. I mean, no one should have to work three jobs to put food on the table. No one should have to go weeks or months without a Sabbath. No one. No one. And if we find ourselves in that kind of situation or that that kind of economy, it's an unjust economy. That's what he's saying. What, What we have to do is come together and say, every human being deserves the dignity of Sabbath. Every person. Whatever their social position is, whatever their performance level is, whatever their position in the institution or in the business, every single person, in Moses' words, 
should rest as well as you. As well as you. That's God's Sabbath priority. And how, you're asking, how do, we, how do we have that kind of transformation happen? It only comes from the next point, which is the motive that, that God gives us right here in the Sabbath command. And this is the next point, resisting forgetting. Look back at verse 15. In verse 15, Moses says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from, where, or from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Moses is saying here over and over again, remember, 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 and it starts here with the Sabbath. And he's going to do it throughout the rest of Deuteronomy. In chapter 7, he says, remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. In chapter 8, he says, remember the way the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Again in chapter 8, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Over 14 times in Deuteronomy. It's all about remember, remember, remember. He's saying, remember what God has done. Look in your past and see how He's done this for you because the Sabbath is that pause. The Sabbath is the break in your week to say, now I have time to remember. To remember what He's done. It calls us to pause and remember His redemption, to cease from your work and remember God's work. When you were in the bondage of sin, God resisted on your behalf. When you were in the bondage of performance, God resisted on your behalf. When you were in the bondage of despair, God resisted on your behalf. Right? He heard your cries in Egypt. He heard your cries in bondage to your sin, to your foolishness, to your evil. He heard you and He met you in it. And He pulled you out with His mighty hand. And He's saying, remember where you came from and remember where you're going. Sabbath resists primarily by remembering, by remembering. Jesus, when he was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves. There were actually three crosses. There were three crosses lined up and Jesus is in the middle and he's, cru he's crucified between these two criminals. And one criminal on his side begins to mock him and begins to call him out and say, if you were really the Son of God, you would save yourself. You would get down, you would save us, but clearly you're not. Clearly you're not who you say you are. I mean, he's full of bitterness, full of anger. He's still really in bondage to more, right? The criminal is, he, he's desiring more, and God hasn't given him more, and so his bitterness and his anger is just oozing out of him in the last hours of his life. And the other guy next to him, in the beginning, he joins in in the mocking. But then something changes. Something happens where he shifts from joining in the mocking to now he's, he's humble. Now he's free. There, there's something different about him. We don't know what it is. We're not told what happens that changes the man's heart. It could have been hearing Jesus pray over his own enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It might have been Jesus as he's hanging on the cross looking at his family and caring for his mother and caring for his brothers in his darkest hour as he's literally taking on the wrath of God. He's thinking of others. We don't know what it is, but something about Jesus and this man seeing Jesus on the cross, this is what he says to him. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. 
Don't remember my righteousness. Don't remember all the works I did. Don't remember my social position. Don't remember my accomplishments at work. Don't remember all the things that I've done to earn a place. Remember me in my worst time on the cross with you literally. And Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me. See, the reason we remember Jesus, the only way we can remember Jesus is because he remembered us first. Jesus is saying on the cross, I'm resisting the powers of evil and darkness by remembering you. Remembering you in your bondage, remembering you in your worst moment. In fact, we're told in Colossians 2 how Jesus does that. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, Jesus didn't bow down to the empire more. Jesus didn't bow down to the people around him who said, this is what it means to be successful. Jesus didn't bow down. He resisted. He resisted the power of despair. He resisted the hopelessness and the heartache. He resisted all the evil that was coming against him. And he did it in the most surprising way with a cross. The very tool that was designed to destroy him. He said, this is where I'll bring life. The very tool that was designed to bring him to hopelessness. He said, I'll bring life out of this. He resisted by subjecting himself even to open shame as he took upon our guilt, even against his greatest enemies. He said, I'm doing that so that you can be free. Free to rest in my work. See, Sabbath, like the cross of Jesus, is the great equalizer. Like the cross, everyone stands on equal footing. Everyone gets a break. Everyone realizes we are loved. Everyone enjoys that we are embraced. Everyone celebrates the wonder of God as we rest in His grace. Everyone, not just the rich, not just the privileged, not just the powerful, but the poor, the marginal, the forgotten, the neglected, the criminal on the cross. Everyone is invited to feast in remembering Jesus. And we stand at the foot of the cross and we resist boasting in our social position. We resist boasting in our works. We resist boasting in our self-righteousness. We resist every other means and we just rest. Resting in the one who remembered you. Resting in the one who invites us to be with him. See, to resist is to remember. To remember where you came from and where you're headed. From bondage to freedom, from anxiety to rest, from consumption to contentment, from hurry to hope, from despair to delight, from fear to faith, from death to life. That's where he's moving you. That you've come from and now you're moving toward. And so today as we close, I want to ask you, do, do you need to resist what's coming against you by remembering Jesus? It, it sounds so simple, but that's what Sabbath is about. It's, it's just looking back and saying, this is who God is, and this is what He's done in my life. This is how He's worked. He, this is how He's delivered me. This is how He's forgiven me. This is how He's set me free. And because He's done all of that, I can look forward, and I can see that there's hope. 
And I can look around to the people in my life and I can see I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to acquire another thing in my life. I can live justly. I can live mercifully. I can live kindly. I can not only receive rest, but give rest. Do you hear that? This is the heart of God for us in the Sabbath that we would know what it means to rest in Him. That, that's just another way of talking about repentance and faith. Repentance is to resist the evil in our life, and faith is to rest in the goodness of God, to rest in His love for us, to rest in what He's done on the cross for us, to say, I'm receiving all your works for me. That's what it means to trust Jesus. And so if you're here today, and you find yourself in bondage to more, I got to have more, I got to have more, and your bondage to more is affecting everyone around you. Jesus invites you to rest in him, to take that step. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy in Christ. Thank you that you have come to unworthy folks like all of us, people who are just like the criminal on the cross, hanging there in desperate need in the last hours of our life, with nothing to offer, nothing to produce, nothing to earn or perform, nothing. But that's what it means to have faith, is to come to you with nothing and to rest in all that you are. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to rest in that as we resist the world around you, around us, that we would rest in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.